everybody. I'm Wendy Murdoch, and this is Webinars with Wendy. But on Fridays, we always do a Surefoot webinar. This one's a little bit special because we're going to talk about how to become a Surefoot equine practitioner. Um, we've had so much interest in Surefoot um, during this whole pandemic. Uh, I've been home now since March and have not stopped working. I think I'm working harder now than than ever before, trying to get everything with Surefoot up and running and to create the program that we're going to talk about today. So I'm so glad that you're joining us. Um, this is going to be largely informational. If you have any questions, please put them in the chat or the Q&A. Um, this is just kind of like a, the beginning process. And we have a lot to tell you about. So before I start into that, I want to introduce Joe Waltman from Australia. She's our, our Surefoot Equine Practitioner Coordinator, and Joe has been instrumental in helping me um, just kind of stay up on top of things because there's a lot going on. I kind of think of, we're kind of like a lobster shedding our shell, that we're growing exponentially with Surefoot and um, in many different directions. And so I have a fantastic team. Joe's my Surefoot Coordinator. Uh, Alex Hamilton is my uh, right-hand woman, my PA, and Leslie Abel is my distribution coordinator. Um, we also have some other people behind the scenes helping us, so um, I want you to know that I have a fantastic team behind me and we're working really hard to try and get up to speed so that we can really expand Surefoot and um, get the practitioner program really robust and up and running. So welcome, Joe. Thanks for joining us at four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Oh, that's my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me, Wendy. <laughs> um, Joe, just give everybody a little bit of your background and um, kind of how you got into Surefoot. I think that's kind of an interesting story. Yeah, so, um, you know, I'm the typical um, little girl that loved horses and begged my parents for a pony for many, many years till finally at 14 they bought me my first pony yay and um and so it kind of you know the love just evolved as it does with everybody and i um did quite a few years of showing moved into the dressage world um and i guess you know like everybody there were i i always thought there was a better way something a bit more, you know, I always felt like I was forcing the horse to perhaps at times do things that they didn't want to, or they couldn't. Um, and so I, I went down the Pirelli path. Um, and then I met uh, an amazing man here in Australia, Tony Lander, and I uh, coached with Tony and still do. He's actually now in Germany. Um, and so I spent a lot of time riding with Tony. Um, but I've also been a, a student of uh, Karen Rolfe, and that's where I came across the pad. She did a, um, a session one day, um, you know, what to do with your horse when you, um, you know, if they're on stall rest or something. She brought out these foam pads. She didn't say, because I think it was quite early on, maybe they didn't have a name. And, she, you know, she had these pads and I'm like, oh, what are they? And, you know, she put them under... Oh, I can't even remember the horse now. Put, you know, she was showing, showing it and saying how much the horse loved it. And there were, you know, there was the yawning. And I, I have been down there. I'm not a certified Masterton practitioner, but I've gone, I should just do my case studies, gone almost <laughs> to the end. Um, trained with, went to uh, the USA and trained with Jim. So I was, you know, I've, the whole release and the flying under the radar and, you know, that was also very obvious when I watched Karen and her horse. And so of course, 
I didn't want to miss out on a good thing. So I hopped on the internet and Googled equine pads, equine foam pads, you know, or a million words. And finally, <laughs> finally came across Murdoch method. And, um, and of course, you know, then the dilemma was, well, I can't just buy one pair. <laughs> I can't just buy two pairs. So anyway, I bought the whole set and, you know, from there, yeah, my horses just went, oh my goodness, this is amazing. And so here we are, I, I guess, too. Then I I sent um, an email to Wendy January last year and said, do you want a distributor in Australia? Was it January last year? I think so. Is that all? Yeah, I think so. Okay. It all, yeah, because we were in New Zealand together last year. Right. So two years. So it'll be two years January. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah. So, and she's like, oh, yeah, okay. And yeah, we just, and it's just exploded here. It's been fantastic. And of course we have Robin Larson Shelton, who's our four hoof trainer here. And so she's been instrumental too in, in promoting it here in Australia. So that's, that's pretty fantastic, but yeah, it just continues to grow. And it's so great to see so many horses enjoying shorefoot. It's yeah, just incredible. So so Joe's currently a two hoof and we'll explain the different hooves in a minute, but she's a two hoof practitioner. I went over to Australia a year ago, October actually with Robin Hood and we went to Equidays in New Zealand um, and did demos and uh, Joe came over and helped us with the booth. And then I went back over to Australia and did some training and that's when she became a two hoof and Robin became our four hoof so that we have representatives in Australia that can do trainings. Um, and so it's really important that we uh, work on these developments and expand Surefoot so that there are people available in the different countries. And I felt it was so important because Joe was doing a, such a good job of promoting Surefoot in Australia that we really, really made the trip. And I love going to Australia. It's just a really big yeah. flight. Um, and unfortunately, right now we can't go anywhere. So that's a little bit of the problem with some of the problems we're going to talk about um, with becoming a practitioner. But Joe's been She's been amazing. She has a day job, but she does, I don't know how much hours she spends in her day job because she has spent <laughs> a lot of time helping me get the Surefoot Equine website up and running. So um, one of the things that I really encourage you to do, I'll put it in the chat, um, if you're interested in becoming a Surefoot practitioner, is to go to the surefootequine.com website. And there is so much information about the products there. And that's one of the things that's really important that you understand because as a practitioner, you're going to be able to have to present these to your clients and be able to at least talk about them. So there's just a ton of resources there. Joe's done a great job. And it's also where we list all of our practitioners. So when you, when you become a Surefoot practitioner, one of the benefits is you're listed on that website. We do it by country. Um, and then within the country, we do it by state. And so people can go and find a practitioner in their area. So let's first talk about who, who is our ideal candidate to be a Surefoot practitioner. Um, what we are looking for is people who are already equine professionals. What do I mean by that? You already have training and education and you're already doing work with horses for money. So why do we want you to be um, a professional? because we're not here to teach you all the skills that are required to be able to work with horses professionally. You know, the safety, we teach a lot of safety, but just the general safety, safety in handling horses, um, and that sort of thing is important. So 
that's our first requirement is that you're there an equine professional in some other field whether that's the tellington jones t-touch whether it's masterson method whether it's a chiropractor acupuncturist farrier trainer that you are being paid to do services for the public as an equine professional um, and one of the things that we highly encourage all of you professionals to have is liability insurance now you know we all know that horses are a, can be a dangerous activity and certainly surefoot is designed to help calm horses down but we also know horses are a flight animal and they are unpredictable so that's just one of the things that we super highly recommend and in some countries it's required um and this actually brings me to one of the things that makes surefoot a little bit complicated in that we're a worldwide organization so we have practitioners currently in germany holland uh, Austria, Australia, New Zealand, and the United States and Canada, um, and I'm probably missing some countries there, um, but every country has its own requirements about equine professionals. So like if you're an animal physical therapist in Germany, that is a profession, you have been trained in that profession, you've gone to school um, to become and be certified as an equine animal physical therapist, or sorry, as an animal physical therapist. In the United States, we don't have that. We don't have, we I can't even actually use the word physical therapy in relation to animals because it's a trademark name that is only for human use. So I'm not gonna get into all the weeds on this, but that's one of the things that's really important. I know we have people signing in from all over the world. It's super important that you check in your country to find out what requirements there are in terms of being a professional, in terms of being able to charge money and what terms you can use. So it, uh, Joe, I know in Australia that, you know, I don't think you have animal physical therapist in Australia either, right? No, you have to either have been a uh, human physiotherapist or a vet can then go and do with- To use those titles. But or, an or a human osteopath, but I, I was talking to someone the other day and um, it's actually the course that they have run here previously. They, they just don't really get the numbers. And um, so, no, we don't have a lot here. It's quite difficult. Right. So, yep. you know, there's, I mean, there's lots of different ways that you can be paid in the horse world. And so it's just important to um, most people, I think, who are already inquiring already are like from the UK. We've had a lot of inquiries and I know I've been to the UK and actually did a in-service day for IVRAP, I think it's those are the letters, um, to train them to use Surefoot in their practice. So every country is different. You got to check with the regulations in your country. What we're here to do when you're an equine professional that comes to us to learn how to use Surefoot, what we're doing is training you in the use of Surefoot. So the Surefoot Equine Stability Program. Um, and so it's, it's, we're entrusting that you already have all this other experience of safety, understanding horses, handling horses, and that sort of thing when you apply. And there is an application process, right, Joe? Yeah. And do we have that up and running on the on the Surefoot Equine website yet? I'm not sure that we have that totally sorted. No, out. I don't think the application form is there, but it's um, coming. Easy to email. Joe, just to make a note, okay, of what we have to talk to Michael about. So we're trying to move everything online for a lot of reasons, almost everything online. And one of the things we want to do is have the application process online. But until we have that, you can email Joe. And Joe, if you put your email in the chat. 
Um, she's the best person to email, not me, because I just have to send it to Joe. Um, and so she'll put her email address in the chat. You email her and you get an application. Um, obviously, what we're working on is creating trainings and COVID has uh, really prevented us from doing in-person trainings right now. However, um, it's our experience, it's my experience particularly, that there will always need to be an in-person segment of the training. And the reason for that is that you are unaware of your habits. And just as the horse is unaware of his habits, and that's what Surefoot is designed to help the horse become aware of, we are often unaware of our habits. And I can't tell you how many times I've told people to keep their hand away from the hoof, and I see an equine professional going over to put a pad underneath the horse's foot, and that hand is right down by the hoof. Why do we stress this so have strongly? Because of the safety factor. And here's the bottom line. Your clients are not gonna be as adept in most cases as you are in being around horses. That's why you're a professional. So we feel it's super important that you show good practices, best practices when placing surefoot pads. And there's two things. When you have your hand down by the hoof to place the pad, you have bent over quite far. I mean, you're really down. And should that horse become startled, anything could happen, you're in a very vulnerable place where you can get run over. The other thing is if you're doing that day after day after day, you're gonna get super tired. But the other thing is you could get stepped on, you could get run over, you could get knocked over, or you could get your hand stepped on. So one of our biggest stresses in trainings is to keep your hand away from the hoof. The simplest way to do that is keep one hand on your back. But these are the kinds of things that when we have a training, we're looking for to make sure that there are safe practices. And believe me, I can't tell you how many professionals in my trainings, I've said it a million times and I watch them and they don't even realize they've done it. And so that's why the in-person piece is so important, okay? So we are going to work very strongly now. We've got two trainings in the United States this year. Uh, Robin's creating one in Australia. Um, we have trainers in Europe and what we're going to be doing is starting to coordinate our trainings and get them up on the Surefoot Equine website. There's a calendar. We're going to list all those trainings on the calendar so that you can attend. But in the meantime, we want to start feeding you some information. And so this is where Joe and I have talked about how can we help people who want to become practitioners to already get started um joe's email it's on the chat so denise if yeah you i just put it i think i just sent it to moy before because i answered her on something okay so now it's to everybody great okay and um hula if you can you raised your hand to ask a question if you can put it in the chat it just makes it a whole lot easier for us because the coordinating of of having you speak is a little bit tricky um so don i see donna's out there hi donna from uk um We've talked about uh, getting some trainings going in the UK and the biggest problem right now we have is like different countries have different rules as to who can travel and when you can travel and how many days you have to quarantine. Um, so while we're in the COVID world, what we're going to do is start, uh, I'm going to start an online learning system. It's called, uh, it's um, LMS. I'm going to use LMS for short and we're going to start packing videos into that online learning system so that we can already start educating you about a lot of stuff about Surefoot. Um, 
And that way we can already give you information. We'll still have the in-person days, but it means that we can actually do a whole lot more in those in-person days because you'll have a lot of the background information um, already. Um, and then what Joe and I have decided, Joe, you want to tell them about case studies? Yeah. So, um, so once you've, well, normally when you would attend a workshop after that, you would um, be then required to submit some case studies. And so that will involve um, a video component, just a short couple of minutes. And the idea, and at, so if we're, we're just talking one hoof level, is that oh, yeah. we can see something as simple as what Wendy was just talking about, that your hand is behind your back, that you haven't reached down to pick up a pad in front of the horse, you know, that you've moved out of the kick zone. So just the basic safety requirements. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's not difficult. Once you've, it's, people are often quite, oh my God, I'm going to see myself on video and, you know, it's not set up properly. The light's not right. This isn't, it really, we're just looking for a few things and it's okay. It doesn't have to be perfect. A couple of minutes, you know. You for an iPhone. Yeah. 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 And, you know, I've got instructions how to upload it to YouTube. Um, you know, I'm here to help you do that. That's not a drama. Um, so, yeah, so it's minimum six case studies. Um, and then I've been giving just a little bit of feedback, like, you know, maybe try this or, you know, just, yeah, just a little so bit of a guide. Is Joe's, Joe's been in charge of this. Thank you, Joe. Um, she, she reviews the videos and she looks at the case studies and her whole goal is to help you is to give you feedback on your video and say, maybe consider this, or I noticed that in the horse, or did you see that? And so, yes, yeah, six case studies. And so, you know, so often, and I think if anybody's been watching the webinars that I've been doing, you know, I filmed these different horses on pads, but it wasn't until I did the webinar and I slowed the video down and then I scrubbed it that I really got to start seeing some of the detail that was actually occurring. And then when I brought Sharon Wilsey in and she started watching the detail in the horses from the videos, I realized that it's such an opportunity to learn. There's so much that we can gain by going back and reviewing a video and just slowing it down or just taking the scroller bar and just slowly scrolling it and maybe going back and forth that your eye picks up all kinds of stuff that you didn't see before. And one of the reasons that's so important, and this is where Joe's so great about giving you feedback on your video, is you need to be able to talk to your client about what's going on. And so when you put a horse's foot on a pad and the horse is standing there, what we've realized is that so many people are not good observers. So many. We had, we had one just recently, remember, and the horse, they, she was working on a horse and another horse came along and just helped itself to the pads. <laughs> yeah, that was and, so great. You know, which was really cool. But what I noticed when I slowed down and was watching the video is when the fir mare first came up, you could see her full face. And 30 seconds later, all the veins in her face had popped out. So I took a screenshot of the, the beginning and then of that. And it was just, you know, check this out. So it was just to help you. Yeah. Look, really look. Yep. And so, you know, if, uh, for your clients to understand what's going on, they need to observe. And, and what we see is that when we engage our clients, the owner of the horse and start to point things out to them and they start to observe, they get so involved and they get so curious. And then we can, you know, so often we, 
the owners are like, I don't know why my horse did that. Or my horse just all of a sudden started doing this. Well, nothing happens all of a sudden unless it's an acute something really freaky. Um, but usually there's something leading up to it. Like my horse won't pick up a canter lead or my horse falls through the shoulder or my horse won't fill in the blank. And when we put them on a pad and then you take that little video and you replay that video, you go, wow, well, look at the point of the shoulder. It's so far past the hoof. Well, of course she's going to fill in the blank or at least it gives us clues. And then as we see the horses change and adapt and adjust and reorganize their balance and their posture, we can point that out to the client. And what I find over and over again is that when the owner starts to see these things, their entire attitude toward the horse changes. They're no longer thinking, oh, this horse is just doing it to me. They're like, oh, that's why, or now I understand, or I can change my approach. But you know the story, if you can't see it, it doesn't exist. If you don't observe it, it doesn't exist. And until we observe it, we can't help make a change. And I think too, until the owner can do that, that horse never really uh, gives itself the opportunity to let go. So when we change our intention and then the horse can kind of go, Oh, you know, she's with me on the same level. And right. You know, and the other thing with the video too, is we get to see, you know, sometimes we think we're letting the horse kind of vote. Um, but owners, especially, you know, they have an agenda. They, you know, they need to get this done now or solve this problem or, you know, um, is it going to fix my problem? That's a common one. Or, I, I have this problem with my horse. I want the right pad to fix that. Well, there, there is no right pad to fix a problem. There's only the process to help discover and to allow and to observe in order to make a change. And so it's, it's really great when you can um, start working on your case studies and give those to Joe and start getting some feedback. It's going to just move the ball down the court. And that's what we're trying to do between the online learning system that we're going to be creating and the case studies, we want to move the ball down the court for everybody so that when we do finally get to do an in-person, we can say, great, you can go ahead and go on and you're a one hoof or a two hoof. You might, who knows? We might even decide when we see you, wow, you really are a two hoof. You're, you're really able to engage people. So um, if nobody has any questions about case studies and the online learning system, I want to talk about the hoof levels. Okay. So here's a chance, put your question in the chat or the q and I'll just quickly add, like with your case study, you know, use your own horse for the first one. Absolutely. Yep. It's just easy. Like it doesn't have to be a client's horse. Just use your own horse because you yep. should already be used to using the pads with that horse. You know, it, it takes the pressure off a little bit um, with it. And the other thing is too, if you go to a client's horse and you're all set up to do your case study and the horse doesn't want to stand on the pads, that's fine. You include it because that's part of it, because there will be horses that won't stand on pads. Right, absolutely. For that first time or, yeah. Yep, and, and um, talking about your own horse, it's okay if the horse has already been on pads, if you wanna yep. use that as a case study. It doesn't have to be a horse that's never seen Surefoot. It can be horses that are experienced with Surefoot. Um, one of the Which is probably the most preferable, you know, set yourself up for success, especially right. at, this, at, the, at, at one hoof. You know, we, we, yeah, don't make it hard for yourself. <laughs> right. And um, so we're, you know, one of the things in those case studies, and this is, this is an interesting question, you know, when I do workshops, I'll look at a horse and we might've worked with it a little bit. We brought it back for a second session. And I asked my group, I said, what pad would you pick? Okay. And 
everybody can give me a different answer. And I'm okay with that. If you can tell me why you have chosen that pad, then I am totally okay with you saying, I think I should start with a hard slant, whereas I might choose a physio pad. It's, it's more the process of thinking it through as opposed to there's no right or wrong answer. And ultimately the horse is going to tell us. Uh, the pads work with minis. Absolutely. Yep. Same thing, same exact thing, um, all size of horses. Uh, in fact, we have a woman in Colorado. I'm so excited about this. She got this system. This is a little off track, but she got this system that's Swiss. Uh, Pliavet. I think it's called Pliavet. Oh, yeah. It can measure HVR, heart rate variation. And she started looking at her mini, who had a very high heart rate for a mini, 80 to 100, all the time. She started using surefoot pads and his heart rate has dropped down. And then one day she went out and his heart, it was already low before she ever started. And so I asked her, I said, did he see the pads before you took his heart rate? And she said, yes. And so I'm guessing that his heart rate had already started dropping just seeing the pads. But I'm so excited about this woman because I think she may be able to give us some science and data. We have other people working on data. Um, but absolutely, she was using a mini and saw huge changes. So um, Moise just asked, how can we balance the five-second rule against making notes and observations on a case study sheet? Or can I use a video to help with that? Absolutely. Um, and, you know, this is, we. oh, do you want to tell them about the observation sheet? Yeah, so we have an observation sheet that that um, goes alongside your your video clip. Um, so you just fill that out with it. So, the, so I guess the idea is to um, pick a horse to do. You know, ideally have someone that can film it for you because you can get a little bit closer. But if you've got a tripod or I filmed myself with my phone on a forty-four gallon drum, so like a that's, do you guys call them out there? Yeah. You know, and leaning against a brick and um, so it doesn't have to be perfect, but ideally if you can have someone help you and then w when you've got that couple of minutes, you know, if it's longer, if, if you ended up filming for 15 minutes, that's fine. That's, you know, I, I enjoy watching them. So um, yeah, it's that, that's good. From watching yeah. So, yeah. And then you then go home, watch that, fill out the observation sheet, make some notes. Um, it includes a history of the horse. So which, you know, and this is where I guess it's important to be a professional already as well, that, you know, this is something when you arrive to treat a horse, you, if, if that's the first time you've met that horse, you will get a history from the owner. Why are you there? What's the problem? If it's a regular client, you're probably going to catch up with what's happened since your last visit. So you could include that on your observation sheet, um, just a bit of a history of the horse. Um, and then all the things that we, Wendy teaches in the workshop, the, the like the eye blinks, the, the muscle twitches. So those things that you, that we're teaching you to notice. Right. So the observation sheet's really handy. Again, this is where the video, going back and playing the video, you can kind of fill in your observation sheet watching your own video. Um, yes, it is difficult. And you know, like when, I, when I've been doing these webinars and I start showing pictures and things, um, it's always when the horse is on multiple pads because at that point the horse is standing quietly, gotten used to surefoot, and I can step back and take a picture. So I totally get the, when you're first working with a horse, it might just walk off the pad the first time. And that's totally fine. And you can just note that on your observation sheet. Horse walked off. Horse snorted at pad. Horse did not pad at all. Or horse wouldn't get off and I had to lift his foot and take his foot off the pad and walk him off. So 
again, the purpose of these case studies is to help you to become better observers and also then to be able to talk to your clients, to help them become better observers. All of that's going to help that horse be a better horse because it's the little things that we don't notice that are really probably the bigger things that are going on. Uh, for, I want to use Surefoot correctly for the betterment of my horses, not so much to become a paid practitioner. Absolutely, Mary. So, you know, we, when I have Surefoot workshops, I have people that are not professionals that just want to come and learn more and really, really enjoy Surefoot. And that's totally okay. Um, and you're totally welcome to uh, participate in the process and you don't have to become a Surefoot practitioner. Um, but the practitioner track is geared toward professionals, but we love to have people that are just super interested. And I always have a couple of those at just about every workshop I've ever done. Um, so that, yeah, it, it, and they're fun. They're really, really fun. And I just, I have a couple that I just think of so fondly, just the way the horses responded was so fascinating. Um, so, um, to just kind of recap this part. To become a Surefoot practitioner, you need to be an equine professional. Um, we're going to have you, if you want, you can do the case studies ahead of time so they're already done for when you do the workshop. We're going to create an online learning system so that we can give you a lot of the information that you would get at a workshop ahead of time. And we're going to get back to doing in-person. We're going to figure that out in this COVID world. Um, I think probably by the beginning of the new year, we're going to have to figure something out in terms of how to do this. So. I am doing two in-person workshops in the month of November. I have my whole COVID protocol. Um, I require masks and social distancing, but the beauty of Surefoot workshops is that that's actually quite easy to do. So in the United States, I'm gonna start doing workshops. The difficulty right now is flying to another country and all the restrictions that other countries have. So we're hoping we're gonna start seeing some, <laughs> some thing that makes that easier for us all soon, right, Joe? Because <laughs> you can't leave Australia. Well, in Australia, we're not even allowed to leave. So, and New Zealand's the same. We, yeah, they can't yeah. leave either. So, it's a pretty big country, but yeah, we're we're kind of hoping New Zealand they'll let New Zealand and Australia, f yeah, fly to each other. Um, and we do have a four hoof marine macketeer who will be heading back to New Zealand. She has to quarantine for fourteen days when she gets there on her own dime, just to get back into into our country. And she is a New Zealander, so you know we're we're really hoping that we can start getting ahead of this and seeing some changes there in the restrictions. Um, but in the meantime, so let's talk about the hoof levels. There are four hoof levels. We call them one hoof, two hoof, three hoof, and four hoof. Um, I am a four hoof. I'm a four hoof plus because I created the system. Um, let's start with one hoof. A one hoof person is an equine professional that has six case studies and been through a training in person. And um, I'm trying to think of, we have a list of the, the requirements, but that's the basics. Um, and after attending a two day workshop, you can then charge money for the Surefoot program in your practice. So let me just kind of back up on this is, I know some of you are equine professionals that are watching this webinar, and I know you've already been using Surefoot with your clients. The difference is you're coming in as an equine professional and it is one of your tools. You are not actually marketing Surefoot itself. So 
if you were to put on your website, we had somebody do this recently, um, that they were doing surefoot sessions and they were not a surefoot practitioner, we had to tell them to stop. But if you are you know, already there and say you're a Masterson method person and you're using the pads as part of your session with the horse, that is fine. So the distinction comes in um, the fact that Surefoot is a trademarked name and the service marks, the trademarks that are, um, means that if, if you are misusing that name, I have to come after you basically. Um, to, in order to maintain the brand. So if you are a professional and you're using Surefoot it, with the horses that you're working on, that's one thing. But if you're saying, I'm going to come and do a Surefoot session and you are not an authorized practitioner, that's a whole different deal. So when you're a one hoof, you are now authorized to use the logo, to use the brand, the Surefoot brand. And you are authorized, you are not certified. Um, there's a lot of legal stuff behind certification. We're not here to take you through all that. A lot of it is actually testing and certification. On Masterson method, they take you through testing and, and to certify you. Um, I'm a five of <laughs> um, so, so that's, I know it sounds a little weedy, but really the difference is it's protecting the brand so that the brand has value. So when you become a Surefoot practitioner, a one hoof, you can now use the brand and the logo and, oh crap, I didn't bring the pins. And we have really cool pins. <laughs> I should have had my pins on, right, Joe? Yeah. Um, we have a really nice pin. It's magnet backed. Um, you get a certificate of authorization. And when you complete a course, you get a certificate of completion. Um, so it just comes down to some legal issues. But then when you're a one hoof practitioner, you are now listed on the Surefoot Equine website. You are able to use the Surefoot brand. You're able to use the Surefoot logo. Um, we can give you some marketing materials. Um, and I'm trying to think, am I missing anything, Joe? We just went through that whole thing. That was the, some of the Bennies. No, I think that that's... Yeah, that's probably about it. Yep. Yep. So one hoof, you can use Surefoot in your private practice. You can charge money for Surefoot sessions. Two hoof requires more case studies, six more, and on at least one more workshop, and if possible, some shadowing. And that, that gets a little tricky again, given the COVID world. Um, but basically shadowing another practitioner, either a three or four hoof, because what you can do at the two hoof level is what we call pad parties. These are super fun. They're, they're really low key, but it's a way to start working with larger groups of people. And um, the, the pad parties were started by Hansa Roll in um, the Netherlands. It was her idea. It's a great idea. And basically, you can charge money for people to come for an hour or two and, with their horse, typically unmounted, and you work with the horses and kind of figure out what pad the horse likes. So it's a group setting. So you can think of a one hoof as private and two hoof as a group setting. That's probably the easiest way to think about it. Um, small groups, no auditors or anything like that, um, but you're getting your feet wet in terms of working with a group of horses, variety of horses, um, working with clients in that setting, um, and they're super fun. People really, really love pad parties. So Joe, have yeah, I really missed anything? To, like get some friends together. Yeah. You know, maybe at your barn and 
grab a couple of girlfriends that you normally go riding with and yeah. Or, you know, as a two hook, you can go to a barn and have a group of people from that barn do a pad party. So um, if you're familiar with Tupperware, think of a Tupperware party, right? I mean, I think, is, is there anybody who is not familiar with Tupperware? I don't know. Um, but basically think of it like a Tupperware party. You get a bunch of friends together, you show up with your pads, you play with the horses and see what pads they like. You can have two horses in the arena if it's unmounted and uh, if you're working mounted one horse. Um, the reason being when you have a horse mounted, there's a lot more going on. If you have two horses, it can get confusing. What we're trying to do here with the two hoof is develop you in terms of being able to work with a group of people using Surefoot. So one hoof is private lessons. Think of it as private lessons. Two hoof is group lessons. Think of Tupperware parties. Three hoof is when you're going to be able to do uh, bigger clinics, auditors, a uh, lot more people. So a three hoof is, uh, think of uh, like even a two-day workshop uh, for the public, not for other professionals, but for the public. Um, why two days? Because the horses change so much from day one to day two. And whenever I've done a two-day workshop, or sorry, a two-day clinic, people are amazed at how much horses change. And so, you know, you can take, uh, you can do a part half day or full day, um, typically in semi-private sessions. And the next day they come back and you see the progress. But when you're a three hoof, you need to be able to show us that you can manage large groups, have great presentation skills, be able to multitask in terms of keeping aware of the horses in the arena and your audience, and be good at entertaining because quite frankly when you're doing larger clinics joe's laughing keeping it light and keeping it entertaining regardless of what is happening in the arena is really really important and a skill that you know only comes with practice and time and being able to do that and there are a lot of people i think that's that important point too is to keep it light-hearted because what i noticed a couple of in a couple of sessions that i had done is that people are competitive and they want their horse to stand on the pads mm -hmm. and they want their horse to stand on the pads longer than the person, the other person that's in the arena with them. So th that's something that you kind of have to manage, you know, everyone's a bit different, but, and I have had a couple of men and, you know, men are really competitive, <laughs> you know, so, you know, that's a challenge. So you do need to keep it a bit lighthearted and, and, yeah, I guess just changing their, I mean, they're there, they're there with Surefoot to begin with. So there's already a seed's been planted, but it's just now watering it so it can grow. And yeah, they can see the, the real value in offering their horse this. Well, and you're, so when you're a three hoof, you could wind up doing a demonstration at an expo or a larger group of people um, at a symposium. So you need to be super comfortable with being able to adjust on the fly. So I'm gonna tell you the, my story about one of the last demos that I did. Karen Rolfe was there. Um, it was Karen Rolfe and, and me, and we were in Holland at Equidays in Holland, which is a little different than Equidays in New Zealand, but Equidays. And there was a hundred people in the audience. And um, my first horse was 18 hands, at least. Um, he, the owner had only had him for a couple of weeks. He had a really strong habit of throwing his shoulder into you and kind of mowing you down. And, um, I was first up to go. 
So the sound guy up in the booth, way up high, adjusted the sound and we tested it. I had, we had a handheld and a headset. He set the sound and then he went out to drive his ponies. And you could see him driving back and forth with his, with his ponies past the door. Okay, I'm sure that didn't help. So I got started with the demo and I took a hold of the lead on the 18 hand horse and I started to use the physio pad. Everything was going fine. And then all of a sudden things just broke loose. Um, the guy, there was a guy in the audience who had hearing aids and he was twitching like crazy. The whole audience was freaking out. They couldn't hear me at all. The horse was starting to get very agitated. He absolutely could not stand still. He was whizzing around and everybody thought that the problem was the batteries in my headset, which was a battery pack on my back. Well, I couldn't tell the audience, but they couldn't understand what I was saying because they couldn't hear me. The guy's freaking out in the audience and Hansha decides we need to change the batteries in my battery pack because it's most likely that the batteries have gone dead, which is why no one can hear me. So Hansha is chasing me while I am working with this 18 hand horse, trying to keep it looking like everything is totally fine and there is no problem whatsoever. And she's chasing me, trying to change the batteries in my battery pack and she's doing that. Well, she still has trauma from this whole thing. She has PTSD. And um, the, the horse never really quite settled and uh, didn't get the sound. We kind of got the sound back. The sound guy was gone, so he couldn't help us. And uh, I, I finally got the horse to slow down enough that I handed it back to the owner. And I said to Karen, well, I did this. I said, Karen, this one's for you. But what it turned out was that you couldn't have the headset and the handheld turned on at the same time and they were conflicting. And so this guy with his hearing aids was freaking out. Well, now imagine what a horse was hearing, right? If the guy with his hearing aids freaking out, a horse has a much better hearing than we do. He was freaking out too and he couldn't stand still because he had started to come down when I first started. So it was after that that we really thought about the difference between two hoof and three hoof. And in three hoof, one needs to have the skill set to be able to deal with larger audiences, keeping horses, you know, going. And when something doesn't go right, like the audience never knew that we were out of control completely. <laughs> um, but you have to be able to keep a smile and keep entertaining the audience and keep yourself safe and not overreact in a situation like that. So, um, Oh yeah, it, it was the most, it was, Hanja afterward was like, I don't know how you did that. And I was like, you, what are you going to do? You know, you just have to keep your cool. The last thing you need to do is get upset. So Sharon Wilsey calls it zero. Uh, it's homeostasis. It's the ability to calm one's inner self and have the, the inner world stay in a nice, even keel. And it's not something one learns at a clinic. Those skills I've learned over 30 years, maybe longer, actually longer. There's skills that you learn from having different experiences at smaller levels that you start to learn how to do this. I mean, I can't tell you how many times, like I remember one time I was working with a horse that wasn't surefoot and he kicked me. I had a bruise this big on my thigh, but I never reacted because how you can't react because then your whole audience is going to freak out. So you have to remember that it's like, you have to be the eye of the storm. No matter what's happening around you, you have to be the one that can stay zen, stay at zero, be calm, um, right? Because if you freak out, now there's nobody home for the horses, for the audience, for the riders. Um, and so that's not a skill that one learns in a clinic setting. It's one 
that you learn through a smaller experiences. Hence the reason for pad parties where you're working with a small group, it's low key, there's no audience. And then maybe gradually, you know, you have a couple of people watching or something, but it's a life skill to be able to handle a large group and a, uh, an environment that's not optimal, right? So Joe, you got anything you want to add to that? <laughs> Yeah, it's a really good point. And my day job, I actually teach financial literacy to children. Um, so while I'm not a school teacher, like that in itself can be quite challenging. You know, like what's the saying? Don't work with children or animals. <laughs> and here I find myself with children and animals. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, it is a good point. And, and I always, for me, I, and I kind of remember who, who taught me, but I always used to remember going to horse shows and the butterflies in my stomach would be flying everywhere. And, you know, there was that, that feeling. And now I, I always think about them coming and they're in a nice little ball in my tummy and they're just there. And occasionally one will break loose, you know, and I'm like, Oh, come back. Stay here. Yeah. So it's just, yeah. Keeping you calm. Cause you have to be there, you know, at the end yeah, of the day. You have to be there for everything else. And so teaching school, you know, so many people are homeschooling now. I'm sure that that is a huge challenge and teaching people a lot about dynamic, group dynamics and how to handle situations and um, just the whole COVID experience of, you know, there's some days when I don't handle the day as well as I'd like. Um, <laughs> I, I won't go into that story. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I mean, it's this ability to stay calm in the storm and because someone has to stay present and to be able to deal with it. And, you know, I've taught riding, like I said, for so long, and there's been a lot of different situations where things started to break loose. And, and the, you know, the whole goal is to get everything calmed down. Uh, horses, people, clients. Um, it reminds me that we were in Africa and we had an elephant charge us at lunch and um, six horses broke loose one way and two another way and people were pinging all over the place and you know you just got to stay calm in the storm and just, <laughs> I know that was it was another very interesting experience you know and just regroup everybody get them together we collected the tack we sat quietly because our vehicles were gone and our guides were gone because they were chasing the elephants off and trying to figure out what happened to the horses um, and it was I gave everybody rescue remedy <laughs> you know, again that life skill of being able to bring everything back down and ground. Um, standing on surefoot pads, really helpful. So, so that's the skill of a three hoof is to be able to work in public um, and be able to have the skills of a clinician. Um, a four hoof is to train other equine professionals. So the four hoof is able to do the, the one hoof workshops and train other people to be one hoof. We are working with the one hoofs being able to be done by the four hoof practitioners and then the clinics for two, three, and four hoofs will be centralized through the Surefoot Equine website. Um, but for right now, you don't have to worry about those levels just yet because we wanna get you into the one hoof, into the program, get you going. And this again, and I think Joe will reinforce this for me. When you first start working with Surefoot, it seems so simple and easy. And in many ways, it is. You know, the basic techniques of placing a horse's foot on a pad, allowing them to walk off, letting them choose, is, is easy. Uh, but then there's the subtleties and the nuances and then the different horses and different responses. And, you know, I always tell people, 
the bell curve. Most of the time, everything's going super smoothly, but it's the ones, it's the outliers that I am always looking for. I'm not setting them up, but I'm always staying very aware that there's outliers. And what do I mean by an outlier? The horse that bronks off a pad, the horse that falls down fainting and lays flat on the ground, which happened to me in front of Linda Tellington Jones six years ago. Um, you know, the horse that's been on pads and been completely fine. And then one day he is not fine and he is out of there. Um, the horse that you go to one side and everything's great. You go to the other side and he completely freaks out. And Joe, you, you know, that, that horse that, um, you want to tell him about that horse? Because we had just yeah. done a one hoof clinic. So um, when Wendy was here last year, it was really good. We, my daughter's a thermographic technician and we took her up to see a horse that she um, regularly images and he, at the time, was a meter fifty jumper. And um, so Gracie was going to use him as her first case study. And um, he'd never been exposed to the pads before. And we just took the half physio pad. And um, he did not want to stand on the pad. He didn't even really want to touch the pad with his foot. And so Gracie persisted a little bit. And, and Wendy guided her. And in the end, Wendy took over. Um, and it, it's he still wasn't sure about well, it. And let me just add I a little detail we, here because Gracie went to his left front first, which was totally fine, but he wouldn't pick yeah, it up. And that's that, right. Right. And then she went around to his right front and picked it up. And when it touched the pad, he just jumped sideways. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, he completely, which is why I took over because at the workshop that we did, all the horses were really quiet. All the horses were super easy. And I kept stressing to everybody, they're making it look really, really easy, but there are horses out there that, you know, are not so sure. And this was exactly the example and it worked out perfectly. You know, everybody was okay, but Gracie got to see, you both got to see yeah. that this is a horse he's been handled all his life. You know, he's regular, he's rugged, he's handled, he's pruned, yeah. he's shown, he's done everything. He had no idea where his right front foot was. And that was the conclusion when I worked with him, I took over and I worked with him and had him stand on the pad on the right, but let him move off, let him move off. And he moved, he just touched it and moved off many times. Um, and we allowed him to graze a little bit in between. And then you could see suddenly, oh, it was okay. And then he could stand on the pad for a brief period of times, but we watched his whole nervous system drop down. We watched his breathing change. And then he could stand on the pad on the left. And the reason Gracie was looking at him was because he kept his hocks. Yeah. Right. So yeah. in conclusion, my guess is that this horse had lost proprioception of his right front foot and was only standing on his left front, basically. Um, and that when we introduced the pad, suddenly he was like, oh, my God, I got a right front foot. And yeah. it kind of freaked him out at first. But in the end, we could see his whole nervous system calm down and he was able to stand on the pad on either front foot. But, but that's what I'm always trying to caution people is that it looks so easy with the majority of horses. It looks so simple and it looks so effortless. You know, oh, all horses are going to stand on this. And that is not true. And, you know, it's and okay. I think too, well, we went, we, we, when she went back to do him eight or 10 weeks later, and we, he didn't want to get off. And so there was that... <laughs> Cause we were still learning a little bit as well. And there was like that, well, I think we need to walk him off. You know, we want, we were kind of like, I think we should leave him there. No, we should take him off. But what if he doesn't stand on it again? You know, so there were lots of different 
yeah, anyway, we, we did take him off and he had an enjoyable time and yeah. yeah. And, and the, the thing that she noticed because she often goes and returns this horse to his paddock and he's a bit of a kite, you know, he gets a bit anxious heading back to his paddock that how calm he was and that he just followed alongside her. Yeah. That was her biggest takeout. Yeah. Her observation. Yep. And um, I was just going to say something in there. Oh, rats. I forgot it. Oh, one of the biggest <laughs> things is how do you deal with the client when the horse won't stand on a pad? Mm. I mean, everybody, the expectation is my horse is going to stand on it. He's going to love it. It's going to be awesome. He's going to like drop his neck and breathe and everything. And the horse won't stand on a pad. And I, there are horses that, I mean, I had one that I did worked with for three days and he never stood on the pad. He was frightened, but he had been a horse that was foot sensitive from the moment he was born. And the whole skill set there that I was showing the owner was how do you approach things? Because this horse had dropped her a number of times because he touched something with his feet and freak out and she might have on the ground. And how do we help this horse become more um, grounded and less, you know, antsy sensitive about his feet? And so it was really breaking down the process of putting myself between the pad and the horse and helping the horse to trust me that I wouldn't ask him to do anything he couldn't do. And very gradually she found, she started to realize that process and he now stands on pads. But so I did a mare here, I did a session and it was a, just a single session should have been at the most, you know, 30 minutes, 40 minutes. An hour and a half later, because she she was very clear about, so the pads were all kind of laid out because we walked across them a couple of times. The owner had walked across them a couple of times. She was very clear, this mare, that she wanted to sniff all the pads multiple times, tip them over with her nose, walk through them, around them. It, she took, it was really interesting. I just let, she, she ran, ran the session, this horse, and I didn't run it. She, she, she had a great time. We were in, we were amazed, but it was, you know, and then in the end she, she did, she stood on all four pads. She, I think, you know, she had multiple pads. Then the owner said, oh, she has trouble in the barn when I tie her up. So we went up there with the half physio pad and we just popped her on that in her place. And yeah, but she, it was amazing to watch this horse for half an hour, just smelling all the pads back and forth, back and forth. And I like the yellow one. No, no, I'm going to go the blue one. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, one of the things as a surefoot practitioner that's, that is so much fun is getting to see a huge variety, a wide variety of horses in, in all different disciplines and how they respond to the surefoot. And all the subtle little nuances, some not so subtle, like the horse that painted and fell over in front of <laughs> <laughs> that I think I'm still a little traumatized by that because I'm like, where's that N? I know there's an N out there somewhere. <laughs> N being a number, number one, you know, number two. Um, but um, but it really surefoot is such a fun thing to do, and it's so much fun to work with your clients, and it's so much fun to see the horses change and the stories that we keep getting from people, the case studies, the stories, the feedback and make sure that you go to Facebook and join the fans of Surefoot um, yeah. group. The, it's fans of Surefoot and like the Surefoot page 
because people post all the time up there about experiences with their horses and it's really a lot about gathering a wide range of experience with a lot of horses and there's no way around it just doing working with a lot of horses is how you get that experience working with a lot of different types of horses breeds of horses variety you know issues it's really how you get the experience and understanding of surefoot and there's i've yet to see anybody that like you know can straight out of the box understand it all because there's so many nuances and so you know, in the meantime, while we are getting the learning management system up and running and you can start working on your case studies and, you know, just start doing little video recordings and go back and look at them. It's so interesting. And if you like, we can even set up a, a, a meeting as opposed to a webinar where you can share some of your videos and we can go through them and talk about it. Uh, I guess the other thing while well, you read that, Wendy, is, you know, with the one hoof, you don't have to have the whole set of pads either. Right. Oh, you yeah, just, right. Yeah, so um, what is good is if you have two pairs. So, yeah, you know, there's um, a choice. But remember, too, that often it's not about putting the horse on two or more pads. One pad is okay. So if you only use one pad on the left front. It's totally okay. Yeah. That's there is no goal in terms of how many pads you get a horse on. It's really up to the horse. Um, somebody's just asked, you can attend Surefoot workshops without a horse. So, like... Um, Somebody's asking, given the uncertain times, would I consider a possibility in-person time um, where they come to Virginia? But actually what, we're, what I'm gonna try and do is start setting up some workshops because I can do a COVID compliant workshop. In fact, I actually did one just before we went on lockdown and we had just kept everybody six feet apart. It was in March, we didn't have masks yet. But you know, with masks and hand sanitizers and six feet apart, you can come without a horse to attend the workshop. You don't have to bring a horse. Um, do I ever have the owner stand on pads? Absolutely. Um, if the owner is fighting in her, absolutely. In fact, sometimes that's the best thing to do first is put the owners on, on all the different pads and find out what pad they like best and then have them stand on that pad while you work with their horse so that you can take the lead shank and disconnect the horse from the owner. Yes. And that's, you know, that's part of that skill set of being able to work with your owners. Um, there's another question here from Rhonda. As a non-equine professional, I would like to learn more about the pads and use them with my own herd. Is there a class? You can take the workshop, Rhonda. And um, you can just take the Surefoot workshop and just not become a practitioner. It's totally fine. Um, and we um, did one at Luann's and we were supposed to do another one at Luann's and I'm sure we're going to try and do one in June of 2021. I haven't talked to Luann yet, but, um, and Rhonda, you know what else? You've got Amy Lissat out there and she's a three hoof. And so I would tell you to get a hold of Amy and maybe even get a little group together if you want and have her work with you guys because she's really good. And we did a webinar with her and she's been working with other people. So you have a resource in your backyard. Um, I use the pads with lots of understanding on them. Yes. Um, I'm going to tell you my one little story and then we're going to wrap this up. But I was in New Zealand in that trip when I went to Australia as well. And there was a woman who had come off her horse two weeks before and was still having headaches. And so she brought her horse and I took her horse and while she was standing there, I said, stand on this half physio pad. And she stepped on it on the orange side. And within, oh, I think less than a minute, her headache went away. And she stayed on it for a while. I don't know how long because I was working with her horse. Um, but I saw her about two weeks later and she said she went home that day and she slept deeply during the day and then that night and was very different after that. So just from one short session of her standing on the physio pad. And that's, 
we've seen some really interesting things with people scanning on physiopaths. Um, Marie McIntyre is, is uh, doing oh, yeah. some work with people. Yeah. Yeah. So that would be interesting. She might come and share. Um, we actually uh, have wanted to bring the pads out for humans, but we've been so busy with the horses and we're trying to get the dog, the Sherpa stuff going, which keeps having a few setbacks, but we keep pushing on it. Um, it yeah. It's really interesting to put people on pads. Um, oh, oh, the mirror. Yeah. Huh? De uh, Denise is saying the mirror. Yeah, the mirror is a really interesting technique, and you yeah. can find that on the Murdoch Method website. So um, if anybody, I don't want to keep you all too much longer. If anybody has any specific questions, um, you can go to Joe. I'll throw my email address in there, and I'll just spell it out for those that listen later. So it's J-O-W-H. A-T-M-A-N at yahoo.com.au. Um, but if you uh, type it in, you can, you can just email Wendy if that's. Yep, you can email me, Wendy at Wendy Murdoch, or actually best thing is to go to the Sherpa Coin website, use the contact forms there yep. because then we have it and I can, it will go to the appropriate people. So um, we're really looking forward to having all of you become Sherpa practitioners. We need lots and lots more Sherpa practitioners. There are horses all around the world that need help um, with Sherpa and owners that need help with Sherpa. Because so many people, I can't tell you how many people are like, I don't think I can do this. Or, you know, I'm, I, I got the pads, but I, I was afraid I was gonna do it wrong. Well, as you know, it's really hard to mess it up. Um, if you adhere to the basic rules of listen to your horse and keep your hand behind your back. Um, Yes. Let me just add that on that note. So like as a prerequisite, watch the, there's two quick start, uh, yes. Guides on the YouTube channel. Um, watch both of those, like just as a refresher, I, I still watch it every now and again, just, um, I, you always get something. Oh, I don't recall Wendy saying that or I, you know, there's I actually three of them all together. <laughs> there's one with me. Oh, uh, Oh yeah, which are the which is a series. Yes, which is a series. Yes. And then yeah. there's the one I did in Holland with Hansha, but it's actually mostly in English, so other than yeah. Hansa's intro. And then there's actually one that was done in German. Um, that's on the German Surefoot page. Um, so Surefoot Equine now has German, so you can go and watch and read in German. And we're gonna add French, Dutch, uh, Spanish, English, German. I think that's it. So we're adding languages. Um, and but we do have um there is a list like on the application form that we've we've got the the suggested webinars right. to and of course all the videos on the surefoot equine youtube channel um i was just on martha's vineyard i was just in the cape um so and we do have a two practitioner uh becky kells who's in massachusetts she's really close to plymouth um so, and that's the other thing is that if there's a practitioner in your area, if you could go and just have a chat with them and maybe go with them, that would be another great learning experience. Um, and I will be back up to the Cape and Martha's Vineyard and Massachusetts. It's probably not this year. Oh, maybe late this year. So we'll see. Maybe we can do something then. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm really excited to, to be expanding and having more practitioners. And thank you so much and have a wonderful weekend. And thanks, Joe, for getting up so early in the morning. Oh, that's my pleasure. And thanks everyone for coming. Well, I look forward to your emails. Yeah. Take care. Bye. Bye.